Welcome back everyone to Torah Today Ministries as we continue in our series called Parsha Seasonings, where we bring out some hidden insights that are found only in the Hebrew uh, or in the Torah scroll itself. And this week's Torah portion is Shoftim, which means judges. And it covers Deuteronomy 16, 18 through 21, 9. Now, much of this Torah portion is not just about appointing judges, but also about priests and kings. What are the standards for a king of Israel? Uh, what are the requirements of a king? And uh, it's just a, a wonderful passage. If you want to know what godly leadership looks like, then uh, you study this portion about judges and priests and kings. So, let's just dive right in. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 14, it says, When you come to the land that Adonai your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. Now, what's interesting about this portion is the word and dwell. And it's just one word in Hebrew. It's Vayashavta, I'm sorry, Vayashavta. And the word is found many times through the Torah and through Scripture, except this is the only place it's found where it has this additional letter hey at the end. It's the only place. And the hey is really unnecessary. So, of course, the rabbis ask the question, why is this letter hey attached to this word and this place talking about when you establish a king in the future? Well, after they put their heads together, they realize, of course, that the letter He, being the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, it has a numerical value of five. And lo and behold, it was exactly five years later that Israel had their first king. And that king, of course, was King Saul. So it's almost as if God, in giving this prophecy about how they would desire a king and want to establish one, it would be five generations later. And thus we have the letter He attached to this word by Yeshavta, and when you dwell. Another interesting insight I discovered here, and of course I didn't discover the insight, but it was new to me, uh, is in Deuteronomy 17.20. And the verse reads this way, Again, speaking of the king, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment, either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. Now, what the rabbis have noticed about this verse is that it begins with the letter Lamed, and it ends with the letter Lamed. Now, that may not seem significant, but Every jot and tittle, every letter is placed by Adonai exactly where it belongs. So if a verse like this begins and ends with the same letter, maybe there's a reason for that. And as the rabbis have studied this, of course, again, they realize that the letter has a numerical value. Lamed has a numerical value of 30. And 30 just happens to be the numerical value of the word Yehuda, which means Judah. And all of the kings, except for the first one, Saul, came from the tribe of Judah, including David, who just so happened to be 30 years old when he became Israel's king. 
And the son of David, Yeshua, our Messiah, was 30 years old when he began to bring his kingdom into the hearts of men. So, just uh, another interesting uh, uh dink, but I don't think it's a coincidence at all. God has a way of, of uh, just encoding and giving hints to his glory and his, his, his great wisdom. You know, Solomon tells us that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search out a matter. And uh, we find that the, the Torah is replete with little details and hints to things beyond just what are being spoken. So, there are a few other Parsha seasonings in this portion I could bring out, but as I was reading and studying Shoftim this time around, <clears throat> something just kind of jumped out at me that probably technically isn't a Parsha seasoning, but it's just so juicy and good, I'm going to include it here anyway, and because uh, I'm not quite sure where else I would put it, and it's something that to me is, is just absolutely beautiful. And again, it has to do with kings. Now, we know that the king of kings is Yeshua, the son of David. And we have a question. Why hasn't he come back yet to establish his kingdom? What is the delay? What's it all about? Well, believe it or not, that delay is explained in Torah portion Shoftim. Now, we have to understand that the prophets all tell us that before the Messiah can come and establish his kingdom, the world will experience warfare. Warfare. There will be violence. There will be war. Because it's a principle not only in Scripture but in human history that peace comes only through victory. Messiah is not going to return with the heavenly host singing Kumbaya and showering the world with Tootsie Rolls and lollipops. He's going to come with a sword, with an army, and there's going to be war. And when that war is won, when there's victory, then there will be peace on earth. And the Prince of Peace will rule in his peaceable kingdom. So the question is, why hasn't this started yet? Why hasn't the war broken out yet? Well, in our portion... Beginning in chapter 20, verse 5, God instructs Moses to tell the people that when they get ready to go into battle, there are three conditions under which a soldier, a warrior, is excused from battle. And so I've divided the portion or this section up into three sections. Now I want to answer the question, the three reasons Messiah has not yet returned. And these three sections will describe and explain why. Number one, starting in Deuteronomy 20, verse 5. Then the officer shall speak to the people, saying, Is there any man who has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. So someone who is building a house and has not yet dedicated it, is not to go into war. 
And the only reason someone would have built a house and not dedicated it was because the house was still not quite finished. You'd build it, but there's still more to go. You don't dedicate it until it's finished. Well, what does Yeshua say? In John 14, verses 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Traditionally, in Israel, when a young man gets married, when he becomes betrothed, the wedding doesn't take place until he goes back to his father's house and adds on to it. I got to, I had the privilege uh, some years ago of visiting a um, Palestinian Baptist pastor who lived in Nazareth. And uh, he loved the Jewish people, loved God, loved Yeshua. And we had a wonderful day with him. And he had a beautiful home. And um, his son was building on another story above. And we walked up the steps so we could see the progress in the new home built on top of the original home. And the son was building his home right above his father's home. And uh, that's where he and his bride and future family would then live. And that's where they live now. So Yeshua is doing the same. And he's going to prepare a place for us that where he is, we may be also. But the house isn't done yet. And here's a kind of a, a, a spiritual, mystical insight to that. We are the living stones from which that house is being built. And as long as people are continuing to be called into his kahal and part of his bride, the house is still under construction. And since he's built in a house, since it's not complete yet, he does not go to war. Now, the second part of the passage says this, And is there any man who has planted a vineyard and has not enjoyed its fruit? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle another man enjoy its fruit. So, if he's planted a vineyard, one that he is not fed from yet, he is not to go into war. And there are several parables where Yeshua talks about a vineyard. And the ones who are tending it, sometimes the ones tending the vineyard are not very righteous people. But anyways, in Matthew 26, 29, where Yeshua is at the final Passover Seder on the evening before his death, he says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So, Yeshua is growing a vine. And he says, you know, I, I am the vine, you're the branches. Abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. He's growing this vine. There's a, a definite parallel with the building of the house. And we are to be, become ripe, become full of seeds. We are to reproduce. And, but the vine is not complete. The vineyard is not complete. But even then, until the owner of the vineyard drinks and partakes of its fruit, he is not to go into battle. And Yeshua says, I'm not partaking of this fruit until I do in my father's house. Then the third part of the passage says this, And is there any man who has betrothed a wife and has not taken her? Let him go back to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man take her. We are in a state of kedoshin, it's called. Kadosh, set apart. 
That's what betrothal is. Yeshua has made a proposal to whoever will may come, and he's gathering people who are choosing, like him, to deny themselves, take up their crosses daily and follow him. And these are the people, of all the people in the world, who become part of his bride. And we're betrothed to him. And he's given us a promise that he will come back for us. And just as in ancient Israel, when a woman became betrothed, she's considered legally married, but she and her husband did not cohabit until the wedding ceremony. And she did not know when that would be. He could come any day, but she knew that he would be adding on to his father's house. And not until that was complete would he return to gather her up and take her home. And there they would have the wedding ceremony and the wedding feast. So we're in that position. We don't know when he's coming back, but we are to keep ourselves set apart wholly unto him, prepared and watching for his return at any moment. And of course, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 to 9, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the holy ones. Here's a question. How's your wedding garment coming? Because the wedding garment is made up of the righteous deeds of the holy ones. And we are to clothe ourselves. I know we're clothed in the righteousness of Messiah, but that's not our wedding garment. That is not the garment we prepare for that day he returns. That garment is one that we weave together out of the righteous deeds that we do in this life. And then it goes on. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the holy ones. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now notice this takes place in Revelation 19, near the end of the book. There are only 22 chapters in the book, so we're here close to the end. So, the three reasons a soldier does not go into war, even though he's full of courage and he's eager to go and win a victory. If he has a house he hasn't completed and dedicated yet, if he has a, a, a vineyard that he hasn't partaken of yet, and if he's betrothed to a woman that he has not married yet, those are the three conditions of Messiah right now. So he's not to go to war. But look what happens next. We've read Revelation 19, verses 7 through 9. And immediately following that, starting in verse 11, we find the warfare. Listen to what it says. Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, like we read of Yeshua back in the, the first chapter of Revelation. And on his head are many diadems, many crowns, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, 
King of kings and Lord of lords. Now the battle takes place and then peace comes. And the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, it's all set up. So, why hasn't Messiah come to establish his kingdom yet? Because there has to be a war before he does. He can't go to battle yet. He has to finish his house. He has to partake of his vineyard. He has to marry his bride. And those things, I believe, are right around the corner. And when those things happen, then the war, the victory comes and peace is established forever. Oh, what a day that's going to be. So I hope you've been blessed by this, uh, this short teaching and these thoughts. And, um, and we say, come quickly, Master Yeshua. And so until next time, we wish you shalom and may God bless. That's all I have to say.